Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, as we kick off this November 21st edition of the Deep Dive podcast, almost said Red Glare, but I didn't. Get better. Intros, hopefully. New week. I could do intros again. Uh, as we kick off this episode of the Deep Dive podcast brought to you all by the Queen Anne Beer Hall, uh, I have a simple question for you, RJ. Should be just a simple yes or no. Uh, you should have no problems with this one at all. It's not really that big of a deal, but thought I'd throw it out there because also maybe want some community engagement on this. And that's, um, do you think I should cut my hair? Oh, what a question. Uh, I I immediately lean toward no. I mean, well, how short? I, I know it's just a yes or no answer, but come on, there, there's more detail to that. How short? Yeah, uh, it would be, I mean, I would go shorter on the sides, but I'm not going to like go like buzz cut. Like I wouldn't be doing anything like that. Like I'd, I want to keep some curl up top and stuff. You know what I mean? If I was to do something mm -hmm. like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just been kind of thinking about it lately more and more. And, you know, I'm just kind of tired of all the maintenance required for the longer hair. But I also, you know, I don't know. Is it my trademark now? <laughs> I want to get rid of I it. I think it might be, though. It. I think it's part of your brand on here. I don't know. We've we got to consult your contract. I was going to say, do I, do I stop being grunge boy at that point? <laughs> I know. I, we, we can't have two, like, you know, clean cut, you know, short hair. Like, you know, can't have two of us like that. I, that doesn't work. Well, I was going to say, I'd probably keep the facial hair. Uh, just for everybody okay. out there, because like I said, I do want like opinions on this. I'd keep the facial hair. It's weird, like with the facial hair, it's like you can have like long hair and be clean shaven and that's fine. Or you can like have short hair and the facial hair and that's fine. But like when you do both, it's just like unless you're Jesus, you just don't get away with that. <laughs> good, good caveat. <laughs> unless you're Jesus. If you have to be Jesus, go for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, but uh, I, I can't help but notice you didn't give an answer. <laughs> it's all right. You know what? I <laughs> You can save it and I'm, vote I'm... in the Twitter poll with everybody else. How's that? There we go. Yeah, my, my vote should not mean any more than anyone else's. This is a community thing that your your fate is in our hands. Yes. Collectively, not just me. All right. Uh, so this should be a fun episode of the Deep Dive beyond just reading all the responses to that question. Going to go over the couple cracking games that we had this week. Two overtime wins, everybody. Let's go. We can win overtime games. Like, that's exciting and fun. Um, and it's a new development for sure. Yes. Uh, team has done a lot of work this week um, and improved a lot of different things. Definitely want to talk about that and whether or not we're in hashtag back the hack territory officially now. Um the Oliver Bjorkstrand question, because that's really kind of become a question over this last week or so. Shane Wright hit his fifth game of being a healthy scratch. Definitely got to go over stuff with that. And then some additional news pieces that we'll sprinkle in towards the end. But starting with these game recaps, RJ, here on Deep Dive, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Let's go ahead and give him a mid-roll right there. Uh, starting <laughs> off with that new uh, that New York Rangers game. Seattle Kraken hosting the New York Rangers. It's a good Rangers team. They've been scary. I think if you go back to probably the first red glare we did this year, I said the Rangers should be the Stanley Cup favorite. Might be backing off that a little bit now, but <laughs> they're still a really good team. It's a dangerous offense. That first unit power play they have is broken, silly good. Oh, yeah. It is so dangerous. And the Kraken saw that all night. Uh, you know, they can move around the puck around like nobody else. Yeah, um, Kraken did, uh, you know, they did a good job of surviving the the offense from the New York Rangers in this one. Yes, they give up the two power play goals. Like I said, though, it's just an insane power play to begin with. Um, and then I guess the big story is that they get the win in three on three overtime after really working on it through the earlier part of the week. And it's just nice and refreshing to see the Kraken kind of do that, have that I think you referred to it as the cause and effect relationship, right? Of working on something and then having it come out and work for them. Yeah. I mean, to see that uh, was, again, so reassuring. It's the kind of thing we've seen bits and pieces of, but it's, it's harder to quantify when it's like, Oh, um, you know, play faster through the neutral zone or things like that. You can mm -hmm. still see it into the trained eye, you know, you can get better at it, but that three on three play, it's just so different than anything else you encounter in any other part of the game. Uh, and to have that kind of clear mandate to be more conservative, to, you know, peel off with the puck. If you don't like what you see uh, those little things to see them go right from practice into game action. And so quickly and twice, as we'll talk about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was great to see. Yeah, it really was. 
Um, otherwise, throughout this game, you you know you get the I guess the biggest story to talk about is the fact that Justin Schultz scores two goals, including that overtime game winner. It was a fantastic game from Justin Schultz, who someone that I felt like his offense had kind of trailed off there for a little while, for like a couple weeks stretch. He'd kind of gotten a little cold for me, um, kind of gotten cold on the power play and stuff, and the power play wasn't great in this one. They go 0 for 4. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about what the Kraken improved on this week, but Justin Schultz coming up huge for them. Yeah, absolutely. And he's someone who's really stepped up, stepped up over the last few games. Uh, we did get tired a little bit of that Alexiak Schultz pair mm-hmm. you know, over that run of a few games after the start of the season. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know how much it has to do with really Alexiak being out of the lineup, but Justin Schultz has absolutely stepped up. Uh, we saw it from him at the start of the season, but you know how this kind of goes with certain yeah. players, just the ebbs and flows of the season. Uh, but he had himself a game against the Rangers, um, you know, scoring that that goal, the go ahead goal uh, in the third period. And then, of course, the overtime winner. Uh, I mean, way to puck, put that puck on net quickly, too, in the overtime. Yeah. I mean, if the just a few milliseconds later, I mean, mm-hmm. If there's anything at all like that, that Shesterkin gets across uh, with his glove and stops that shot, it found the smallest hole in the net. Um, but, you know, just so decisive by Justin Schultz. And I like his decision making, too, throughout the rest of the overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he's he's definitely what the Kraken need. You know, th- this going into the last offseason, they needed a, a puck moving right shot defenseman. Mm-hmm. And Schultz has definitely filled that hole for them. And, you know, looking at the cap stuff in a very budget way as well. Yeah, for sure. And you you mentioned the decisiveness on that overtime winner. How about the fact that, all, you know, this game was the perfect example of the Kraken just kind of grinding it out, keeping the, the, you know, their foot on the gas and trying to beat a goaltender who is the best goaltender in the world, right? Like Shesterkin looked every bit as advertised coming into this one. And the Kraken, you know, to Shesterkin's credit, the Kraken never beat him clean. All three of these goals are not clean goals. Got the Jared McCann one at the beginning where he gets a nice tip on a puck. You know, no goal. He's going to be able to stop that after that redirection about halfway up. The the first Justin Schultz goal, the one in the third period, goes off a Ranger, then goes off of Shesterkin. Like, like it, you know, lots of ping-ponging going on there. And yeah, then Schultz himself said after the game he was not shooting to score there. No, yeah, yeah, no, there was just no way. And then uh, lots of traffic in front there. And then with the overtime one, you get that kind of same sort of situation there. But I like that the Kraken proved that they could win a game like that, right? Last year, one of the big things was if they ran into a really good hot goaltender. Like, remember last year when Shesterkin came into Climate Pledge Arena and just shut them down? Oh, yeah. and it was just like there was nothing they could do, even though... They were getting lots of great chances or, uh, you know, maybe maybe Thatcher Demko once in a while did that as well for, for the Canucks. Certainly can't, you know, doesn't do it too often anymore. Uh, but <laughs> but um, I had to throw that in there. I had to throw that in there. Uh, but I liked that the Kraken proved that they could beat a goaltender like that because that was one of the questions like this year. They, they're answering lots of questions about like, hey, we're a good team now. We can do, you know, X, Y or Z. This year, this is this is another one where it's, look, we can beat a lights-out goaltender. We're going to find ways to score. We're going to try to manufacture goals. They did a good job, I felt, in this one of also the defensemen shooting to the pads, right? Just trying to create rebounds, let the forwards up front try to get something going off of those. And um, I, again, it's just kind of like this next level of evolution for the Seattle Kraken team that shows, hey... We, we're going to be in this playoff race till the very end, and we really think we're a playoff team because we can do this. Yeah, and they've, they've shown that they can, and also not getting frustrated by a goalie mm-hmm. making some great saves and don't get discouraged, just keep sticking with your game. I mean, off that Daniel Sprong breakaway, uh, you know, to not get a goal on that one, that that's that's pretty tough, you know, having a great A chance like yeah. that. Uh, but the Kraken didn't slow down at all after that. I think they believed in their game plan in a way that they just didn't last season. Yeah, I agreed. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about as we kind of go through just these two games is the idea of the Kraken um, helping out Martin Jones. Martin Jones, obviously fantastic through these two these two games this week, obviously picking up two wins, two overtime wins. That means, you know, anytime a goaltender's in that situation, it means they're battling hard, 
right? Like they're they're keeping you in the game and they're giving you the chance to win the game, which is all you ever want out of your goaltender. And so Martin Jones doing a fantastic job. But I also felt that this week the Kraken did a lot to help out Martin Jones through both of these games. And we'll probably talk about it more so with the next one when we recap the game against the Kings. But in this game against the Rangers, you still, they outblock the Rangers 14 to 9. You know what I mean? Kind of get that that shot block advantage. That's not something that I feel like we really saw from the Kraken through most of this season up until very recently. Uh, almost wonder if they picked up something from that one nothing Minnesota loss that they had not too long ago where Minnesota had the mm-hmm. 29 block shots. Um, but I, I like seeing that from the Kraken. They're, they're trying to keep teams to the outside. The forwards are willing to get in there and help out and block some shots. I think it's, again, it's one of those things of when you're playing top teams, you're playing top power play units like, like in the Rangers case here, you got to do that. It's got to be full team effort if you're going to kind of grind out these wins. And I like the balance too uh, between blocking shots because especially uh, you know we'll talk about it this last game against the Kings just mm-hmm. throwing your body to those shooting lanes, uh, but also keeping the sight lines clear for Martin Jones and I think they've done mm-hmm. a really good job of that. Uh, and I mean that's that's a real tricky balance to strike. It's you yeah. know it's almost like an art of deciding okay when when do you have to get in out of the the sight line when do you jump into that lane and try and block the shot because if you miss it you know if it goes past you then the goalie can't see it. Um, but the decision-making has been really good from the Kraken's defensemen uh, over the past week about when to do each of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's allowed Martin Jones to see just about every single shot that, that comes into him that actually makes it to him. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he's so dialed in right now. That's all he needs. As long as he can yep. get he can get eyes on it, he's going to stop that puck. And it's it's been fantastic to watch from him. The other kind of like team-based stat I'm going to look at um, when it comes to this Rangers game is giveaways. And this is something we never talk about because I don't know how accurate really it is, the idea of a giveaway Mm -hmm. and what's recorded as a giveaway. But in this one, it's just, it it really stands out. 10 giveaways for the Kraken versus only one for the Rangers. And I'm going to bring this up not because like, oh my gosh, the Kraken, they just couldn't stop handing the Rangers the puck. It was a nightmare. No, I think this, this proves that the Kraken were doing a good job of keeping the Rangers from doing what the Rangers, you know, kind of do best, which is working with their high skill players, having them move the puck around, having them get comfortable in the offensive zone and really, you know, get on the attack. And I felt like in this one, they did a good job of never letting the Rangers do that. They weren't giving them clean zone entries, which is something that the Rangers really, really want with guys like Panarin or Zabinijad. They want those clean zone entries. They don't want to have to dump it and chase it down into the corner. It's not really what their top lines want to do. And so I feel like with having the the such a low giveaway number for the Rangers, it just shows they weren't passing. Right. Like you can't give away the puck if you're not passing, you're not trying to make things happen. And um, and that's kind of just why I want to highlight that. Interesting way to think about that. I mean, it's it's kind of the it's similar to the way that we now look at hitting stats where like, oh, good job. You know, you out hit the other team. Well, no, because if you're hitting the other team a lot, that means they usually have the puck. Right. Um, and so the giveaway stat, I suppose, could also be interpreted like that. I didn't really think about it that way. Um yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I sit right in front of the off-ice officials, so I can hear when they call kind of giveaways, takeaways, uh, whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, I, there there are some times where I feel like, oh, that was a giveaway or that wasn't a giveaway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe not the perfect science, uh, although I will say the off-ice officials, they do great work. I'm not yes. no criticism of them, uh, but, you know, everyone's only human. Uh, but that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, no, it's so much of the off-ice official stuff is very subjective. Like there's only, you know what I mean? So much you can do. And I feel like giveaways, takeaways is really that way too. Like, like what, what constitutes that? And I feel like each person kind of just has their different thing. But when you see a team, a 10 to one ratio, I feel like that. And and just having watched the game, I feel like this was an example of the Kraken were trying to really get things going and they were trying to make a lot of passes. Yes, on the power play especially, they were trying to be a little too aggressive with the passing. So I would understand why they would have more giveaways than the Rangers. But anytime, like, I, ref- this this is a game that was won, you know, what, 3-2 in overtime? There's no way that the Rangers only, you know, gave away one puck while just, you know, making 99% of their passes and really playing their full game and everything, right? Like everything else about this game tells you that the fact that they only had one giveaway means they just weren't really 
playing with the puck that often they weren't making passes they they were or if they were they were all safe passes and um i think the the game tape backs that up a little bit right um all right is there anything else you want to talk about with this one i think that's that's all i had for it no i mean i think it's just the one thing i want to go back to because we talked about how the kraken were helping out martin jones but yeah. i just want to talk about martin jones himself just for a mm-hmm. little bit because i think uh this was a real statement game for him Basically, this game turned into once the score is one to one, this game turned into a goalie battle. Yes, uh, there were lots of big saves from both netminders, you know, throughout the remainder of the game. Uh, and Martin Jones held his own against Igor Shesterkin. And I think there's something to be mm-hmm. said for that. You know, of course, he downplayed. Oh, you're not really thinking about who's on the at the other net. But I, you, you must. Right. Yeah. Just a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know. In a game like this, I think it really highlighted the fact that the Kraken, for the first time in franchise history, really, are getting world-class goaltending. This is just not something we have ever seen from a Kraken goalie before. Um, And to see it up against what we know to be world-class goaltending, what we know to be Mm -hmm. Vesna-caliber goaltending, and, you know, matching Igor Shosturkin every step of the way, um, I think it just made made it so much clearer how special it is what that Mar- what Martin Jones is doing. Yeah, no, Martin Jones has been that, you know, last line of defense, the wall, the, what, like whatever you want to call it for a team. Like I said earlier, he's been the guy keeping them in games, giving them chances to win. That is not a luxury the Kraken had last season. And and I do I I don't throw around the word luxury like lightly because this is that is a luxury in the NHL to have a goaltender that night in night out, you know, carrying the workload that Martin Jones has been carrying for this team through these last several weeks. That is not something that everybody has access to. It's one of those things that like on paper, every team should be able to to have that, right? It's, you know, oh, there should be 32 guys out there in the world capable of, of kind of doing that for their team, right? But, you know, on paper, there should be 32 starting quarterback, you know, caliber quarterbacks out there in the world. And the bottom line is there just isn't, right? There's about 12. And in the NHL, yep. I feel like there's about 15 goaltenders that really night in, night out, give their team a chance to win, regardless of level of competition, regardless of what systems the other team is throwing at them. And Martin Jones right now is is he's one of those 15. And it's really, really awesome to watch. And you're seeing what a big difference it makes, right? Like you never want to say, oh, one person can make this giant difference for your team, makes this giant difference in the standings. But the bottom line is when you have a goaltender who can step up and make saves, like there's, there's one thing to be said for just making the saves you're supposed to make. And the Kraken didn't even have that last year, as we all know, right? Like there's something for that. And then you can like rely on the rest of the team. But when you have somebody coming in like Martin Jones right now, who's making saves that, you know, he almost shouldn't be making, right? Like he's, he's, he's adding those extra one or two, he's taking one or two goals off a game just by being in there and playing as well as he is. I mean, that's how you get to overtime in these three straight games. That's how you walk away with five points out of those three games. You know what I mean? Like that's, that is that difference maker. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I think back to the toe save on the Capo Caco breakaway in this game. And, and Jones even said he, he caught me leaning the wrong way. I was, yeah. I was not leaning the right way. He had him beat essentially, but to throw the leg out and get the toe on it, um, you know, it saves like that that make the difference. Right. And that's that's one where, you know, we're talking about it as like a huge save. If it had been a goal, we wouldn't have even really talked about it as like, oh, that's a that's a bad goal or whatever, because that's, you know, that's kind of a play that's expected to score. Yeah. Like, oh, can't blame him on that one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I just beat him. Oh, well, you know, on to the next one. Uh, And so it's a it's a big deal uh, when you have a goaltender playing like like he's playing. All right. On to the Kings game. This was a battle. This was a fun playoff atmosphere. Really felt like that divisional matchup team you're you're neck and neck with in the standings. It's just so much fun to watch this game. So back and forth. Felt like each team won a period, and then that third period was just all out. You know, both teams trying desperately to get something going, trying desperately to score. Got the fireworks in the first minute. We'll get to. But I think the big thing for me is. You know, when the Kraken played the Kings second game of the season earlier this year at um, the the arena formerly known as Staples Center, 
That's what we're going to call it from now on. Um, the, the big story out of that was that the Kraken came in there and they out hit the Kings and they out physical the Kings and they manhandled this Kings team and they were able to steal that win on the road. Right. And we knew that the Kings were not going to be a team that was going to let that happen two games in a row. Like, you know, that that stuck with them and that they've thought about that ever since that game. And they've probably circled this, ca- this game on their calendar to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And, I want to give so much credit to the Kraken for they didn't back down physically, but they didn't try to force the physicality issue either. They they were like, okay, you're going to match us physically in this one? That's fine. We're going to play a disciplined approach. We're going to work on our game. We're going to try to outskill you this time and try to catch you off guard a little bit. And it worked, right? The Kings didn't get anything going offensively, I didn't feel like. Didn't ever really look like the Kings. Yes, Philip Deneau gets that goal, but that line is on fire right now. There was no stopping it. Um, but again, it's another similar type of approach from the Kraken. We're going to keep you to the outside. You're a team that likes to to work down low, so we're going to make sure that you can't work down low. We're going to keep the puck up in the, in the defensive zone, and then we're going to block 23 shots and just say, look, you're not getting any good looks at, at Martin Jones. Sorry. And it worked. Yeah, you use the word battle. I think that's absolutely correct for what this game was. Uh, and the Kings also, not not only did they have that first game against the Kraken in mind, I think, uh, from this season, but also the game the previous night against Vancouver, which was yeah. just a lackluster effort from L.A. Uh, they wanted to come out and, and you know, uh, make that right uh, in the Kraken game. And, I mean, they put on a really good push. They were very structured. They stuck to their yes. 1-3-1 very well and and it made it difficult for the Kraken uh, to get through at times um, and so when you have a team that's that disciplined defensively that big that physical it's going to be a battle if you're going to be competitive in the game at all it's going to be a battle and uh, discipline is the key word and yep. what did we talk about the last couple Kraken games leading into this one you know unfortunately Carson Soucy was kind of the poster child for it but it was really a team problem yep. discipline Yep. And the Kraken were disciplined in this one. And in a game where, given the physical nature of play, he easily could have taken penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Kraken didn't really. And, and you know, even some of the ones that they did were were maybe on the softer side. I'm thinking of that, that you know, that hooking penalty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this one um, was going into the locker room after the game and hearing the players and the coaches talk. This one was a departure from previous wins. This was a Kraken team that normally there's just kind of jubilation in the locker room. Everyone's excited. They're happy. We won. They just, they felt tired, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's no shame in that after this game is feeling tired because again, it was an all out battle. Um, And it's just an exhausting game. I think it's good. The Kraken have, uh, you know, three days in between the next one. And actually the the next two days today, uh, sorry, it was being recorded on Sunday today and tomorrow. So Sunday and Monday are team days off. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a lot, I think, after this game. You know, you have two two whole days off, and I think uh, it's not just deserved but needed uh, mm-hmm. after that game. Um, but I want to ask you, Dylan, because one of the other things I, I got as far as the reaction from everyone after the game, um, and it'll, I'll start with, I guess, Dave Haxtall. Um, he was asked, you know, how do you feel your team did as far as penetrating the Kings 1-3-1, getting through that structure? And I expected an answer of, you know, I thought we did pretty good or whatever. He said, it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't great. It was okay. Uh, and then also, one thing I noticed when they were doing the Davy Jones hat, uh, giving it to Brandon Tanev, you know, his little Davy Jones hat speech was, well, not our best, but on to the next game. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about that evaluation from kind of the players and the coaches? Because that's really the feeling that I got uh, after talking to people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say without knowing like exactly what their strategy was going in, right? If they really had something in mind that, that they had seen some weakness that they wanted to exploit and then they felt like they weren't able to do so, then I can understand having that. I, I understand from the offensive side, like this was maybe the least Kraken looking game that they've had this month or in the last like four weeks uh, in the sense that they didn't get to the net really ever right? Like the Kraken have wanted to get to the net. They've wanted to establish their cycle. They weren't able to do that. The Kings defense was too good. Um, there was just kind of no, no doing that. The Kings defense, very good at reading it. And they, they trust their defenders, man. Like they, they let their defenders dip down below the goal line to go and try to and win a puck battle or, or to pick off a pass or something. That was one of the things that stood out to me was, you know, obviously you always think of a Drew Doughty, but 
you look at you know Mikey Anderson doing stuff like that. Edler looks like a completely different guy. Like someone's turned back the clock ten years for 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 Edler right now. And um and and also their wingers, their wingers play back defensively, and they make differences, and they're in there, and they're making sure that. You know, the Kraken have wanted to involve their defensemen, get the puck back to their defensemen. Maybe they're not always shooting to score, but they can throw it in and kind of create chaos. It lets the Kraken get moving down low. Kings wingers were not letting the Kraken defensemen have anything today or last night. They were not giving them any any daylight. There was just no time for them to operate. That's kind of how you end up with that shorthanded goal for them even. You know what I mean? It's just their wingers are so dead set on not letting the puck get back to the uh, you know the opposing blue line when they're in their defensive zone. And so I could see why the Kraken would feel like, hey, we weren't able to do our thing today even though we got the win and we found a way to win and we we, we were able to I, I feel like they probably feel like they accomplished what they wanted to defensively but you know the the Kraken they did not play the way they want to play in the offensive zone because the Kings were not letting them yeah and, and credit to the the Kings and doing their pre-scout and the, and the coaching on on that mm-hmm. side of it too especially playing so tight to the points you know that Dave Haxtell's cracking teams they always want to get their defensemen yep. involved whether it's pinching in to grab the puck uh, or, or playing with the puck you know up around the blue line in the offensive zone uh, they want to get the D involved and the Kings just did not let them do that no exactly um looking around at things like we're, we're going to talk about Bjorkstrand later but obviously that was kind of a big story although he led the way with six block shots so <laughs> just want to throw that one out there credits of Bjorkstrand for that um big game for Kale Flurry. might talk about him later and just how how like the Alexiak situation's going but I just felt like the the Kraken defense everybody really stepped up in a big way for this one right Borgen you know battled through a potential injury that he sustained there for a little while it was obvious he was he was feeling something um Carson Soucy nice bounce back game for Carson Soucy in a lot of ways Vince Dunn yes got he got stuck in that horrible spot that that leads to that shorthanded goal but I don't think it's entirely on him and you know he's just kind of continued the tear he's been on Adam Larson's been leading the way just chewing up ice time like nobody else it's absolutely incredible so I do want to give a big credit to the the Kings de- uh, not the Kings defense the uh the Kraken's defense I mean both defenses played good tonight, on, but man. I want to I want to give a lot of credit to the Kraken's uh defenders tonight because I or that night because I feel like they did a fantastic job and they really helped out Martin Jones that you know the Kings are a team that will eat you alive if you give them the chance to get at some rebounds and stuff and the Kraken did a good job Mm -hmm. of not letting the Kings get to those rebounds yeah absolutely and Justin Schultz too with another pair of assists yeah I mean you know he's he's just been racking up the points recently uh he's waking up and when he's producing I mean that's that's always huge for the Kraken um you know because they they need that offensive producer there and, Mm -hmm. and Schultz has been doing that consistently right and you know the one time that the Kraken defense didn't have it they were caught out there a little long and and really the forwards didn't really back them up too much in this case scenario either was on that Philip Deneau goal like it just felt like the Kraken were in like chaos mode. Like they were just in like, Oh my gosh, you got to survive this. I don't really know how that started. I'd have to go back and, and watch how that play kind of originally got going, but it was the only time that it felt like the Kraken in their own zone were not like in charge and in control. And really through these last two games, that might've been the only moment in which it didn't feel like the Kraken were in charge and in control with how, how the game was going to be played in their own zone. And obviously, you know, you can't do that. Certainly not against a line as hot as as the Philip Deneau, uh line is right now. Um, but the big thing I think the, that we got to touch on is Daniel Sprong getting that power play goal right after the shorthanded goal. What like eighteen seconds later, uh, and and making sure that the Kings as you know almost didn't have a lead throughout this entire game and stopping that momentum because in a close game like this, that momentum means everything. And so to steal it back from the Kings just huge. We learned that last season, as far as how the momentum can turn and can quickly go against you. That was the kind of play that would happen a lot uh, against the Kraken last year. Uh, But responding in the way that they did with, with that um, great shift afterward and to go right back to work on the power play, Uh, Matty Beniers drawing all those guys over to his side uh, and then the pass across to Daniel Sprong. And I love the decision. Uh, to do kind of that no-look five-hole shot. It's something he talked about after the game uh, that he's been working on in practice, but it hasn't really been working in games. Uh, But guess what? Of all the times for it to work, 
this one might be a good one because uh, as Allison Lucan pointed out on the broadcast, and by the way, she was great uh, between the benches. I mean, you got to mention that. Um, but she pointed this out before the goal that Cal Peterson actually is the worst goalie in the NHL in terms of percentage of shots that go in five hole. Right. Uh, I think it was like 34% of the goals that go by him go in five hole, which is a, a crazy high number. I mean, league average is 14%. And that's something that you think Daniel Sprong must have seen, must have known from the pre-scout uh, and, you know, had the presence of mind to think of that as he's walking in and just beats Cal Peterson clean five hole. And Peterson was so frustrated with himself after that one, too. Goalies hate that uh, being beat like that five hole. Um, and I, I think that just, again, kind of set the tone after that momentum right back in the Kraken's favor. Yeah, for sure. And you could tell that that was, you know, a point of emphasis for the Kraken was to attack that five hole and, and credit to them for for doing it and getting getting that big time goal off of it. And you could tell that also it was starting to get to Peterson too, right? Like like you could tell he was aware that was his weakness, and it was becoming evident that they were aware that that's what his weaknesses was. And that's that's a terrible spot to be in if you're a goaltender. Of like, oh man, I I'm struggling with this thing. They know I'm struggling with this thing. Like ah, what do I do? And um, they just totally got in his head. And I I really do feel like. If Peterson had played better, I don't know that the Kraken get that win because I just don't yeah. know that the Kraken are able to score enough to get that win. You know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, he made some saves he had no business making, but also he, he just looked kind of shaky and leaky yep. more more so than the score would indicate. Yeah, exactly. They, they could have been if if the rest of the Kings, you know, defensively weren't playing the way that they were playing, that game could have gotten really ugly really fast. Um, just based on Cal Peterson's performance alone. But, you know, it's two points for the Kraken. That's all that matters as you walk out of there with the two points against your divisional foe. Moving uh, kind of away from these game recaps, but keeping with, you know, the stuff the team worked on. Obviously, the fact that you've played, you know, these these back-to-back 3v3 overtime games after losing that one against Winnipeg last week and, and the big talk around that being like, look, they need to improve three-on-three. Three. They practice it a bunch, those two days of practice, as you reported on. Um, they, they win both of these two in overtime. Kind of crazy that you'd have back-to-back overtime games after you spend two days of practice working on your three-on-three. Three. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's, it's great that they did. I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on that when, you know, the other thing that we talked about, we've hinted at it before already, right? Discipline was a big problem for this team um, going into these last couple games. And certainly last night against the Kings, they cleaned that up in a big way. And that was, you know, anytime you're talking about one goal games, that power play difference can always be the difference, right? Like that could be the thing that that helps you, helps put you over the edge. The fact that you're able to score a power play goal in that one is one of those things that puts you over the edge. And then I'm going to actually kick off this kind of talk about what the team has worked on and improved RJ with face-offs. Do you know the last game in which the Kraken did not win the face-off battle? Uh, let's see. Um, okay, so it must be at least like two games back. Let's say... Uh... I don't know, three, four. I'm trying to think because you've mentioned it on post game. Minnesota. Let's go with Minnesota. It's actually Nashville. November 8th against Nashville was the last time that the Kraken as a team were below 50%. Wow. And so, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was a little surprised because I thought four it was games the in a row game. that, they, that they've won the faceoff battle. Right. And this is something that we had talked about through so many post games. So many post games, right? It was the idea of, oh, man, they lost the faceoff battle again. They got away with the fact that they can't win those faceoffs, particularly late, big time moment faceoffs. They'd really, really struggled with that. But I think that the, the, the team was aware of that. They've worked towards addressing that, the coaching staff, and it's paying off because you're getting these face-off wins now. And a lot of these games, it's not even like, oh, it's close. We're like eking out a 52-48 percentage split. No, almost all of these, it's been 57-plus percent for the Kraken. Like that, like a healthy margin that they're winning as far as NHL, you know, you know what you can expect to do regularly in the NHL. It's still a tough league. You're not going to win like 70% of your draws ever, right? Um, but right. They're, they're doing an excellent job addressing that face-off thing. And I think that that's, you know, it shows how different this team is and why I'm anyway totally bought into this idea that they can be a playoff team because playoff teams 
learn from their weaknesses. They identify what the problems are. They identify how to fix it. And then they go out there and they implement the fixes that make it better. And whether it's the power of play, whether it's the discipline issue, whether it's three on three, whether it's face-offs, this week is the week that we can point to and say, Dave Haxtall and the Seattle Kraken are doing that. Yeah, and it's been just systematic improvement. I think it does start, honestly, through through training camp. I think it takes a little while for it all to come together because face-offs are a good example. They've been working on it since day one yeah. of the regular season. We hadn't seen the results, um, but maybe it just takes a little while for everything to click. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the week that I think you can really, you know, that certainly, you know, made made believers out of us, you know, for sure, uh, that that the Kraken can put these things together when they put their mind to them. The, the face-off work always baffled me just because I would see how much they would work on them and just the improvement mm -hmm. wasn't there. Um, but now to see that it is, uh, you know, it that helps quite a bit. Um, face-offs are also just one of those weird things where if you look at just season-wide stats, no team is really like that much above or below like 55%. Mm -hmm. I mean, like to, to be as bad as the Kraken were, if they were to continue that all season, that would have to have been like an all-time low yeah. or something. And, you know, there have been plenty of teams that, you know, that, that have been bad on the draws, but it always seems to even out somewhat. It's just one of those weird stats that um, over a large sample size. I mean, you look at like career best face-off guys, nobody's like above 60%. It just, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how much it evens out. Um, but still, I, the Kraken have been able to do that, and I'm excited to see what they're, what they're going to do. I guess they're only going to have one real day of practice before their next game. Mm -hmm. um, but what they decide to work on, because you should be able to get a pretty full practice session in at that point. And um, you know, they can kind of pick, pick, choose, identify uh, what they want to improve on next. And um, for a team that over the course of a long 82 game season, uh, when you can just kind of pick out little parts of your game and just keep getting better, um, by the time the playoffs roll around, you can be a really complete team. It, for sure. Uh, another thing that they had been struggling with was the power play. Brought that up last deep dive. Really talked about how like, hey, look, yes, the three on three overtime. Oh, man, last week's deep dive did not age well for me, RJ, right? As I'm like, yeah, you know, the three on three overtime, you got to find a way of winning those games. But how often do you really find yourself in those situations, right? Like, it's not that often. You got to work on the power play. You're getting multiple power play chances a game. That's what they should spend those days working on. Um, obviously, I was wrong. I'll admit that I was wrong because you immediately find yourself in two more 3v3 overtime situations. Um, that being said, it is clear. And, and, you know, you had talked about in these morning skates for both of these games, they had been working on the power play and trying to improve it. And we talked about it last night in the post game for the Kings game. Now that the Kraken, you know, kind of get back on the board on the power play, just how different it felt in that Kings game. You know, the two full power plays that they actually had, because that first one, you know, Schwartz takes the penalty and it kind of gets cut short. It doesn't really count. Yeah. Um, the two power, the two full power plays that they had, we saw what was making their power play dangerous before and what they had kind of gotten away from, which is, player movement and puck movement right when you're confident on the power play it, it opens you up it allows you to do those things and those are the things that actually lead to goals because you're pulling the defense out of position you're you know what i mean you're you're getting the goaltender having to move back and forth in his crease you're you're allowing yourself to find better looks than just sitting there waiting for a one-timer i thought daniel sprong was a very good example of that yes he did score the one goal kind of on the one-timer but it was also kind of coming off of a rush and everything earlier he was trying to play more like a jared mccann where he was collecting the puck skating it around trying to find that nice shooting lane and really trying to snipe it past peterson and all of that stuff just it it looks so much better to me and it it certainly wasn't bathroom break territory like it had kind of been getting there for them. It was, no, this is must-watch television when they're on the power play and you see the amount of player and puck movement that they have going on. And the confidence was the big difference. And I think Daniel Sprong was emblematic of that, how much he was moving around to all these different spots on the power play. He kind of moved into the bumper, went, you know, went behind the net. And I think... Um, player movement which is what i always love to see especially when you're you know running kind of that standard you know one three one power play uh player movement is huge because mm -hmm. if you're running that power play and you're just moving the puck around through the outside and not really making any dangerous passes you're not going to get anywhere 
because a power play is all about pulling the penalty killers out of position. They're going to be in their defensive structure and through puck movement or player movement, you've got to pull them out of those spots. And I think player movement is the most effective way to do that, but you have to be confident in where you are and where your game is uh, to attempt that kind of player movement because it can go wrong uh, right. if you don't know what you're doing. And I think you see power plays that are not very confident, that are timid. They just stick to their spots because it, it's where you know you should be uh, and just move the puck around the outside. We saw a lot of that from the Kraken last year, and they were starting to fall back into that mm -hmm. uh, over the games last week. And then uh, they just look so much more confident in this game against the Kings, uh, moving everybody around. And, and it was able to open up the Kings PK. And uh, you look at Matty Beniers drawing people over to his side, hitting Sprong. The amount of time and space that Sprong had so uh, from that was huge. I mean, he had all day to line up that shot. Right. Um, and those are the kind of things that get you power play goals, that get you power play opportunities. Right. And I want to highlight that the player movement that the Kraken were, were doing that was really helping open up those opportunities was really by moving, you know, almost who was net front with who was on the right side. Like, this wasn't like, oh, whoever's on one of the sides is swapping with the defenseman and really the puck is still playing back, you know, staying back and, and far out on the perimeter and it's not very dangerous for an opposing team. But no, when you're moving who's net front with someone on the side there, that's when you're putting the PK in the worst possible situation as far as trying to make a quick decision. Because you're like, okay... You know, normally in that kind of situation, you kind of want to maybe stay to your zone, but you don't really know what's going on because that's just like not something you're used to seeing. The defenseman especially is in a rough spot because, you know, you're trying to clear out the front of the net. All of a sudden now this guy's peeling away from the front of the net. So do you try to step up and, and help out with the bumper spot or no, wait, someone's coming in. How do you how do you deal with that approach? Do you try to step up and try to find a passing lane to get in? It, it gets very confusing very quick because, you know, you're talking about this all taking place over the course of a second and you're just having to make a read. The problem is there's almost no read to make because you're, mm -hmm. you're you know what I mean? Like there's there's no immediate threat there. So it's hard to make a read. It's hard to know what to do. And so you're either going to catch them completely stagnant and still in which case that's going to open up a passing lane somewhere else or you're going to have those you know maybe your defender steps up but the forward also thinks that they need to stay up and next thing you know you have two guys up or two guys down because the forward drops down to help pick up the guy coming net front because they're unaware right like pk units don't communicate on how to deal with that like that's not like something that you're planning on usually a lot of times that you're practicing when you're going through your special teams practice so by doing that, it was very clear that you, I mean, they were even drawing over the other, you know, forward off the PK unit over to the side. It almost looked like they were running an overload for a little while, the Kraken, mm -hmm. just because like <laughs> all of a sudden everything is drawn over to the side. And that's what you get that space over on the, uh, the left side for Daniel Sprong there. I, so I just want to highlight that, like, no, they're moving significant pieces down low and that's what's helping create these opportunities for them. Is there still stuff that, that could be worked on on the power play for the Kraken? Yes. I still feel like Vince Dunn needs to be better out there. I still feel like he doesn't do a good job of making himself a threat from the blue line. I want to see him do that a little bit more. And then I also, you know, this is more of a rhetorical question, RJ, but like when was the last time whoever was in the bumper spot for the Kraken touched the puck on a power play? Because you could tell me it hasn't happened yet this year and I'd believe it. <laughs> The only time I think about it is when when the normal bumper guy goes down low into the corner to give puck support if there's like a battle yeah. along the boards. That's the only time I can think of it. They really haven't involved the bumper in the power play at all, really, in the team's history, mm -hmm. it feels like. Um, so that's another wrinkle that at any point you, you could open up if you want to work on that. Right. And maybe that's another way to get Bjorkstrand going again, too, because he was really yes. good in that spot in Columbus. Exactly. That's what I was just going to bring up is that's that's where Bjorkstrand should be there. You know, I talked about it. I don't remember if it was preseason or, or a little bit into the regular season, but the idea of of running a Bjorkstrand in the bumper and, and using him kind of like Team Canada at the World Juniors this past August, which feels weird to say, uh, the way they used Connor Bedard, where he played really high up in the slot, but by doing that, it meant he was really in one-on-one -on -one situations with a PK, or he's not kind of sandwiched between four potential guys who 
could just all pounce on him the moment he touches the puck, right? Have him play a little higher, get him in more one-on-one situations, and then you can set up one-timers from the slot. Like, like that's like the dream case scenario, right, for any offensive player is to be able to be in that that kind of shooter's position right there in the slot, get the best look at the goaltender, um, the least amount of net coverage, all of that stuff. I still feel like that that's something that the Kraken could experiment with, and it's just something that they have to do because right now, if you're not involving that bumper role, you're playing four on four. There's almost no point in having the man advantage, right? Especially when you're not shooting for rebounds and kind of creating chaos and having him be that extra guy in there. Um, So I I still Mm -hmm. think that that's a place where the Kraken can improve. That being said, phenomenal job last night against the Kings. Just keep that up. They'll be fine more nights than not if they keep that up. So I don't want to get like two on it, but it is still something that I've noticed and has kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah, and, and I would bet that they spend a significant portion of the next practice working on the power play. They've identified it as something yeah. to get better. Um, and so, yeah, I think they'll work at that. Yeah, it's just hard to do it with that condensed schedule the second half of this week. Uh, we just mentioned Oliver Bjorkstrand, right? And so let's talk about him because he's gonna he's been kind of tumbling down the lineup. We obviously know the scoring struggles for him sitting on that one goal. That that goal came in the first game against Anaheim, right? Like, like he has not scored since opening night of the season for the Seattle Kraken, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He and, just has the one goal. He's and been snake bitten. <laughs> it's yeah. He's been bitten by many snakes. Like this is not just like one <laughs> snake's worth of worth of bad luck. This is a, a you know a, a whole pit of snakes has has gotten him. I'm looking up right now. Yes, he still leads the Kraken in shots with 55. Bur- uh, Burakovsky is second on the team with 47. So he's still eight clear. For the team lead in shots, but only that one goal. So again, he's trying to, he's doing everything he can to try to create that offense. Um, It just isn't coming for him. These last couple nights, it hasn't felt like the answer for him is to continue to go down the lineup. Last night, only playing 12 and some change against the Kings. I really don't think that that's what's going to be beneficial for him. Yes, he's a smart player. He's the son of a coach, right? He, He goes out there and he blocks six shots for you and he embraces that depth role. But, you know, the whole point of you bringing him in was this was going to be like a 30 goal scorer potentially for you. You know what I mean? He was going to help your offensive struggles and you're not putting him in a spot to really do that by, by playing him the way the Kraken have been playing him this last week or so. Right. And I talked about it a little bit in post game, moving him down to the fourth line at the end of that game. I was okay with it just because of what it meant for the third line and moving Ryan Donato up. And given the way that he was playing mm-hmm. last night, I just felt like you had to do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just in that game, it's fine. I don't think we'll see that as a, as a permanent fixture. But I think, yeah, you do have to come up with a solution and put Bjorkstrand in a position to succeed because he can be such a valuable player for you when he's on. I mean, we saw this with Jordan Everly kind of going through a bit of a slump earlier this season. And, um, you know, we knew that if he could just get things going again, he's a streaky player, uh, how much he could help the Kraken and how much he's helping them right now, now that he's in that position to succeed, uh, playing on a line with Matty Beniers, and that's really gotten him going. Um, and you talked about this again last night on post game. That might be the spot for Oliver Bjorkstrand to put him in a spot to succeed on a line with Matty Beniers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you have said, uh, you know, going back a couple games now, you'd move Jared McCann off that line and moving Bjorkstrand up to the Beniers line. So uh, why don't you explain, you know, why you would do that? Yeah, I just think that Bjorkstrand and, and Beniers play kind of a similar style in the sense that they like to have the puck and they like to find open teammates. And then when they don't have the puck, they like to find open spots on the ice, right? I think last night was a very good example of that for Matty Beniers, right? You're playing a Kings team that's trying to keep you from what you want to do offensively. And part of that is keeping the puck away from a Matty Beniers. So Matty Beniers last night against the Kings played a lot of time without the puck. And what did he do? Where were we finding him? He was kind of the only guy able to get penetration against this Kings defense and be net front, right? You think of him trying to, you know, bunny hop out of the way of the one goal there. Um, But it's because he was net front. He was the only guy kind of pushing that that narrative of, Hey, let's, let's get in Cal Peterson's face. Like let's, let's be here potentially for rebounds, especially if we're targeting the five hole and we're shooting low. If he's making that save, it's a pad save and there's going to be a rebound there. Right. And I felt like Matty Beniers was like the only guy kind of doing that last night, or he was at least the only one able to have success with it. And a lot of what Bjorkstrand was trying to do, especially back when he was on the line with Burakovsky and Wenberg was when he had the puck, 
he's really good at kind of cycling himself through the offensive zone. He'll go left to right. He'll go behind the net and come out the other side. You know what I mean? If d- Depending on what's best for him. And I just feel like they're two guys that think the game in a similar way. They both want to do that kind of stuff. They both like to sit behind defenses and wait for a one-timer opportunity or the ability to snap a quick shot. I just want to see the two of them together. Maybe they don't have chemistry, but I just think the way that they play so similarly the fact that they could both cross left and right and trade off with each other and both know exactly where they should be in that situation, that that's not something every hockey player has, and they both have it. And I feel like there, there's got to be the opportunity for some really dynamic stuff there. Um, another person that I would consider to round out that line would be Jaden Schwartz, because I feel like mm. Schwartz does a really good job of playing around like what Maddie wants to do and stuff back when they were kind of paired together. Um, I feel like that would be a very interesting stand, uh, place for him. I think Jaden Schwartz could then be that kind of more net front guy where he's going to be there for right. the rebounds. Let Bjorkstrand and Beneers kind of do what they want uh, a little bit further out. Let them cycle all around. I'll just stay here and make sure that there's a presence net front that's going to keep you know one or two defenders nearby and provide them that extra little bit of space so that's a line that i would really like to see put together is schwartz Beniers, and bjorkstrand um i'm looking on money puck just to kind of see where bjorkstrand was most effective because obviously it felt like the right. burakovsky wenberg bjorkstrand line was was very effective and um but you know from a as far as uh, and we we know the like limitations of this the expected goals percentage they were just kind of 50 50 um when you look at it, one of the ones that is interesting is Schwartz, Winberg, Bjorkstrand. And they were only together mm-hmm. for 45 minutes through nine games, but 63.6% expected goals, four percentage. And I feel like nine games, that's kind of enough of a sample size that it's not like a fluky one game totally. It's obviously not a huge sample size. It's obviously a little bit of a flawed stat to be looking at. But I think that that's partly what was going on there too. Wenberg, another smart player, another guy who likes to move around the zone a little bit. And then you have that anchor in a Jaden Schwartz who can kind of sit net front, help provide space for the other two and let them be a little bit more aggressive offensively. So it, you know that might just be something too to look at and maybe go back to as well. Yeah, possibly. And if you're making that change on the lines, you know, you can move Bjork straight. You already have Schwartz and Wenberg together right now on a line. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would have to move Burakovsky off that line um, right. and put him somewhere else, maybe with Beneers and Eberly. I mean, that could be a good spot. And then you move McCann down to the third line. Um, that's something you could do. I, you know, I don't know about, well, I mean, you know, I was saying, I don't know about moving McCann down to the third line after his recent, you know, success yeah. with Beneers and Eberly. But if you're, if you're going to try a shakeup, uh, to get Bjorkstrand back into a rhythm, that might be the way to go about it. I'm trying to see if um, Beneers has played that Beneers McCann Eberly line. If we've gotten that before, uh, no. uh, yeah, we have. Yes, yes, we have through 32 for 32 minutes, minutes so not yeah. a lot, but they perform pretty well. 61.9 yeah. percent expected goals percentage. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. Bjor- uh, Burakovsky's playing really, really well right now. He's just kind of a little snake bitten as far as shooting goes, but he's getting lots of shots. He's he is Burakovsky their best like defensive forward as far as not allowing the other team to ever leave their zone. Like, I feel like almost every time when there's someone harassing the opposing team as they try to exit out of their zone, it's Burakovsky and he's right there, you know, forcing turnovers, trying to pickpocket a team, just completely harassing them. Um He's been playing really, really well right now. That that McCann Beneers Eberly line is playing well right now. Like I don't know that right now is the time to do a shakeup to try to get one guy going in Bjorkstrand. But I feel like the next time you maybe lose two games in a row or something, and you are going to be shaking things up, that that would be the time to maybe look at something like this. Agree. I mean, you only want to do it when the opportunity strikes. I mean, that's something that Haxel's pretty pretty consistent about all season. Is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And I think uh, you know that that's what they got to continue to do. All right, RJ, we got uh, we're fifty two minutes into this podcast, so let's go with kind of a quick power play um, setup here for these last couple couple things that we're going to talk about. Uh, first one okay. is Shane Wright hit that fifth game uh, as being a healthy healthy scratch. The AHL loophole is now open to the Kraken. Uh, do you think that they use it? It's tough because I, I would have thought we'd maybe see something 
seen something today or this morning about it if they were going to. Uh, I I was very curious about this at Morning Skate when it looked like Shane Wright was going to be a healthy scratch yesterday. And so, of course, I, I asked Dave Haxtell about it. Uh, the answer did, didn't really give an indication one way or another. I'll just read it out to you. We talk about Shane and his situation day in and day out. He's not going to be in the lineup tonight. His job is to go out and get a great work day in. We're really aware that playing games and getting game time is really important, right? The game time that he has gotten here has been limited, but it's been really valuable. Day in and day out, we see growth in him, and we want to make sure that growth continues. So that tells me nothing as far as whether they're going to do it yeah. or not. Um, I, I still think it would be the smart thing to do. I mean, just I don't see a path into the lineup for him right now in the NHL level. Why not get him AHL games? I, I'm... I don't know. I would be in favor of them doing that. And it would kind of walk you right up to the world juniors, which I think there he probably is going to play. I would imagine. So yeah. if this is the, the path he continues to go on. Why not put him in the world juniors? Um, but it allows him to get some game action. And I don't think that that missing that practice time with the Kraken uh, would, would be all that detrimental to him, especially if he's playing games, uh, you know, at, at a level that I think we both agreed from the start of the season would be in, in an ideal situation, the most appropriate for his development. It, exactly. Um, Cause right now there's obviously those questions going around. It is interesting that we're not the only team dealing with this, right? You have the Brant Clark situation kind of running parallel to it. Um, this is a situation that is not common. Like I, like it's just not yeah. at all common. It's not anything anybody's really used to seeing. And so the fact that you're seeing it from two different teams makes you wonder if maybe this is something that teams feel like might be a viable strategy moving forward a little bit, just because, um, you know, it, it, it gets your guys around the NHL level. If you really feel like there's nothing left for them to prove at the major junior level with which for Shane Wright and Brant Clark, you could easily say that. You could say that like yeah. there's there's almost no point in them going back. So they're at least getting the the work ethic and the atmosphere and that 82 game grind feel from the NHL. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if moving forward the next couple of years, if more and more teams start doing that. Um, but yeah, at some point in order to become a better hockey player, you have to play hockey games like there's no way around that. Uh, and so you have to find a way of getting him action. I do feel like all of this is set up and look, maybe some of this is catching the Kraken off guard. They didn't expect to be this good this fast. They didn't expect to have the improvements on like a week to week basis, the way that they're having right now. And for all, you know, this whole team to really come together as this unit and be this force in this division, right? A, a year in which some other teams in the division that were expected to be good, just really, really aren't. And so some of this is just, you know, they, they had this plan in place and now the team is kind of outperforming their expectations and it's complicating the original plan with Shane Wright. I don't know. I'd love to think that they just think their team's going to be good all the time, but we know that that's not always the case with teams, right? If that was the case. You never have, you know, tanking allegations and stuff around the league, right? Yeah. Um, but Or you just never think your team's going to be as healthy as it is. Exactly. That's, that's part whatever. of it too, is I think they probably felt like at some point somebody's going to go down. It's hockey. That's just what happens. And Shane Wright will have an avenue into the lineup um it, it is uh, pretty you know almost miraculous that that hasn't happened for the kraken yet uh and knock on wood that keeps going um but yeah it's it's a complicated one i'm looking at the coachella valley schedule right now because obviously you want to try to maximize those 14 days that you have to send him to the ahl level um before then potentially a camp opens up early December for Team Canada that you can send him off to. So the next game for Coachella Valley is Tuesday, November 22nd. So tomorrow for everybody listening to this, the, the day the podcast drops. Um, if, you, if, you, if you send him on the 22nd and then he plays that night, right? So now Tuesday becomes the, the day for you. The day that he's no longer eligible or the end of that window would be the 5th or 6th of December, yeah. which which means that you're getting games on the 22nd, 24th, 26th, then a little bit of a break, and games on the 2nd and 3rd against Henderson. So you get five games at the AHL level, and then that's also expected to be the start time for Canada's camp, is, is somewhere around the 5th, 6th, sometime that week. Um, so that could work out kind of perfectly for them. Yeah, it could. I mean, the timing of this seems really good, which is why I'm tempted to say that they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we haven't heard anything to that effect, as I as I mentioned already, but um, it just seems to make 
too much sense not to do it. Um, yeah, I'm looking at who the AMC to be in Calgary for a couple games at San Diego and then at Henderson uh, for two games. So it's it's not too hectic travel wise. Um, mm-hmm. And and certainly if you're coming from Seattle to going going to those that road game in Calgary, it's you know less of a trip up than from Coachella Valley or you know from Southern California. So um, I, I just I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Yeah, and really because there's no way you could ever stretch it out to December 9th when that next game is. They could do it, yeah. you know, today on this Sunday that we're recording, and then it, all of a sudden the day becomes the fourth, December fourth. That still gets you all five games. They could do it tomorrow, Monday, the twenty-first, right? Tomorrow for us, today for all of yeah. you. Uh, that that still works. It gets you that full five games. So, any time between like the moment where you and I are talking right now and really Tuesday morning, uh, they can make this decision and and have it work out and get those five games for him. I think that'd be really good for his development and uh, and just move forward from there. Yeah, I agree. I think they should do it. Uh, and we'll, we'll see. I, I think we'll have some clarity on this soon enough, because if they don't do it by the, you know, those Tuesday or Thursday games, then probably not going to do it. I don't know why you would do it later than that. Exactly, because there is such a gap between December 3rd and December 9th um, that would be a tough one. Cause even if you're assuming like, well, he doesn't need to be around for the very beginning of team Canada camp because they're that's, you know, that, that's like when they have the most invites there, got to think that, that Shane Wright's kind of got a fast track to, to at least making the roster. Right. Uh, so he doesn't need to be there battling for, you know, a bottom six role or anything, but it just, it just doesn't make sense looking at the Coachella Valley schedule to do it for any other time. You're, you'd just be taking games off the board, uh, for him. So, it's a very, very interesting setup. That being said, I still feel like they are very committed to just keeping him at the NHL level, right? They went through the effort of moving him in with Donato. Uh, not that that, not that I'm saying that might have been like a big effort or anything, but the point is they they did that finally. Um, I took yeah. that as a signal of, hey, no, we are serious. We want him around, and this is this is the plan. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, he's, he's not going back, uh, you know, to juniors, certainly not to Kingston. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of the long-term plan. It feels more like there's a plan again, or certainly if he's sent to the AHL, it'll feel more like there's a, a solid plan too. Yeah. Um, all right. So going to finish out with just these two quick things. Uh, you know, Jamie Alexiak, is there kind of a latest on Jamie Alexiak from this last week to report on? Yeah, good question. So he is still uh, on IR with that lower body injury. Good news is, though, we did see him return to the ice. Uh, He's, I think, spent two days on the ice so far uh, before practice and then before morning skate. So he hasn't been a full participant in either of those. Uh, But he's in a red no contact jersey. Uh, He was doing some skating and passing drills with the coaches. Didn't look 100%. And with a lower body injury, you know, it's all about the skating. Yep. Didn't look like he was pushing it or ramping it up too much. Uh, but he didn't look, you know, like he was slower limping out there or anything. Just kind of taking it easy. So I, he's on a, you know, kind of slower road back. I think it'll still be a little while. Um, but, you know, maybe he can ramp it up ahead of this game against San Jose coming up. Yeah, the thing to look at there will be when the no contact jersey comes off. Because as we yep. know, especially for a defenseman, all that stuff, it, all your strengths coming from your lower body. You got to really be able to leverage that, trust your lower body as you're trying to make those big hits and lean on guys. Uh, Kale Fleury, in the meantime, though, has been playing really, really well. We had nothing but good things to say about him after that Kings game. He, he played fantastic. I think that getting the Borgen treatment a little bit this year is is doing good for him. Uh, and then last one, Grubauer. So all the talk was that he was going to potentially be available for that Kings game, might play in that Kings game. Didn't see him for that Kings game. I think everybody's of the mindset that you don't want to start Martin Jones in Vegas at the end of this upcoming week, right? <laughs> so the question really becomes, if Grubauer is going to start that game against Vegas, do you start Grubauer against San Jose just so he has a lead-in game before that that big-time matchup against the Golden Knights? I would not. I think with Martin Jones playing as well as he is and just two more points up for grabs and a San Jose team that has actually had some okay efforts recently. And, you know, Eric Carlson just on fire. Uh, Their their top players are really leading this team and driving the team. Mm -hmm. I think you can't afford to just, you know, put an untested Grubauer in there and kind of have that be a game that you're potentially prepared to throw away if for whatever reason he's just not back in in full game shape yet um Mm -hmm. i think you've got to start martin jones for that one um 
that's what I would do anyway. And then you can give Philip Grubauer Vegas. Uh, agreed. I don't think Martin Jones should start in Vegas as well as he's playing. I think you're more likely to see uh, what you saw against the against the Golden Knights earlier this season than say Game Six in the 2019 playoffs. Uh, you know, with Jones with probably the yeah. best game of his life. Um, I think. Uh, you're more likely to to see a bad ending. So give Grubauer that game. I don't think he needs the run up to it. Um, you know, he can, he can figure it out. I mean, he is get, taking shots in practice. He has been kind of ramping back up to yeah. those things, but as he did say yesterday, um, you know, it's not the same with, with coaches mm-hmm. shooting on you versus as the guys shooting on you, like yeah. players <laughs> shooting on you. Um, and funny, I, I do want to throw this in. He was asked, you know, which of the coaches has the best shot? Uh-huh. Uh, and he said, uh, Steve Breer, for sure. No, no hesitation. Steve, the goalie nice. coach. I think he's got to give that to him. Maybe he's a little biased, but, uh, yeah, he said Steve with the best one. I know I wanted to do my, my goaltending coach kind of, kind of deep dive a little bit today, but we didn't have time. So maybe next week. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think you can afford to give Martin Jones that sharks game, get him the revenge game against the sharks. That's all fine and good. And then you start group against Vegas, see how he does, because really the next stretch for, you know, once you get to that sharks game, you have games every other day leading into into December, um, kind of ending that that every other day streak on the third of December against Florida. So you're talking about a lot of games coming up where you might want to be bouncing back and forth between both netminders anyway, just for rest purposes and everything. So um, especially because it's it's there's a lot of travel in there. You're talking a home game for the Sharks, then then some on the road, and then also back to being at home you know, all with just those one days off in between. I think you're going to want to have both guys totally available. Don't want to push Grubauer too much coming back from a groin injury too, because those are just so tough for goaltenders. Yeah. Potentially a groin injury. Never yeah, I know. We know. Lower body. We don't we, we know could all, sure, We all saw it. We all saw it. We all saw it. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Deep Dive. Let us know your thoughts about all the topics we talked about, whether it's, you know, the, the how they can improve the power play, uh, what you would do to maybe try to get Oliver Bjorkstrand going, whether or not I should cut my hair. <laughs> Let us know. Yes. Down in the comments section below, uh, or let us know on social media, on Twitter, uh, all those great places. And once again, thanks one more time to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring this podcast. And we will see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over on patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep Tier patrons, Alex, Brian, Coop, Daryl, Duthin, Eli, Gary, Jared, Joey, Joni, Joshua, Hasue, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Maya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Scott, Sean, Sergeant Pickles, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all of this possible. We really appreciate your support.